0: Welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast, episode number 154. This is Rick Lee James, your host as always, and I am so glad you could be here this week for the second live episode uh, from Lima Community Church of the Nazarene, where I was able to lead some music and do a couple workshops at Uh, at the Empower the Church conference just this past weekend. Uh, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode on uh, the worship band workshop. And this week, uh, we are actually going to be covering spirituality and the praise team. And this is about um, coming together for the rehearsal, but making a rehearsal something much more than just a rehearsal. Doing our best to really make Uh, our time together, a time of spiritual formation as we practice together, as we prepare to lead in worship on Sunday, and um, that we would not try to take our people someplace we haven't been before. So uh, just as last week, because uh, it's it's a live show, I made the intro this week a little different than our normal intro. I just wanted to do something a little different, just you know, change is fun from time to time. I'd love to get more feedback from you on what you're thinking of these episodes of the podcast. Um, We've got some great ones ahead. I can't announce just yet, but I do have a few things in the works for the podcast. Um, The Brueggemann one, just uh, a a couple weeks ago, or a couple, well, three episodes ago now, um, it was just tremendously well received, and so I'm hoping to have more and more guests like that all the time of that caliber on the show. Uh, it was really an honor for me to be able to have a discussion with uh, with Walter prugamon and uh, I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, please continue to, to send me your feedback at rickleyjames.com, and you can go there and send me an email, or you can go to com slash rickleyjames to my artist page, or Go to Twitter, at Rick Lee James, and send me your feedback. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me have some ideas for future shows, if there's anything you'd like to discuss. I do have some things that I would like to deal with, um, some controversial topics, either even in the coming days, um, but I, things that I think are going to be necessary, not just controversial for the sake of controversy. Um, I really feel like we need to have some serious conversations as believers um, about how to interact with things in our world that maybe are a part of a different agenda and a different part of, uh, our, a different worldview than the kingdom of God and how we interact with that. Uh, just one last thing. Uh, if you want to donate to my project and be able to get uh, a copy of my new album, Hymns, Prayers, and Invitations, uh, long before the rest of the world gets it, go to GoFundMe.com slash hymns and check that out. That's H-Y-M-N-S, uh, gofundme.com slash hymns. We had another $80 donated this past week, and I'm very grateful for it. That pushes us closer to about $800 more that we need um, for the final release. I mean, I'm going to release it either way. I'm just going to, you know, it's just going to be a matter of how much in the hole I have to go in in order to release it in the first place. But be praying um, that the mixes are coming in, and I'm so excited about what I'm hearing. And uh, God is just, I think, going to be doing great things in the coming days through a lot of these songs, I, I hope and I pray. And whatever is for His glory, I'm happy with. Um, even if it doesn't get beyond my living room, I guess But I know uh, I, I want I want this to be something that God can use For the churches and for His kingdom So we'll just pray towards that end And you've heard enough of me babbling on this subject And now you can hear me babble on a different subject At the Empower the Church conference uh, It took place just a couple weekends ago In Lima, Ohio At uh, Lima Community Church of the Nazarene I want to thank them for their kindness in having me there uh, there were so many uh, great speakers that day. It was my honor to help lead music that morning for the entire assembly. Together, uh, we had a wonderful time. Uh, shout out to Jonathan Berkey for hosting the event as the music pastor there at that church. Uh, you're doing great things. I appreciate you. Um, all right, I guess that's it for now. Let's get into today's episode of spirituality and the praise. T- <coughs> excuse me, spirituality and the praise band. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. God bless. Well, welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. I am still here at Lima Community Church in Lima, Ohio, and I'm here with some wonderful people, and we're getting ready to talk about spirituality and the praise band, a topic that I am really excited to talk about today. I wanted to share a quote with you that I read just a few moments ago. Uh, Brian Zahn has become a friend of mine, and he's a a great author, great pastor. He uh, lives in in, Missouri, Missouri. Word of Life Church is a church he started several years ago, and he has sort of been a mentor from afar to me. Just a few minutes ago, he posted this on Twitter, and I think it has a lot to do with what we're going to be talking about today. He said, "In the age of weapons of mass distraction, sitting silently with Jesus without agenda for ten minutes is almost a heroic act." <laughs> and I love that sitting silently with Jesus without agenda. For ten minutes, is almost a heroic act in our society. So we're going to be focusing on some spiritual formation things today with the praise band, which is a very difficult thing. And I'm going to start out by talking about a calling. It starts with a calling, okay? I felt a call to ministry at a pretty early age. I know I was 15 when I accepted a call into the ministry. I assumed it was some sort of music ministry, but honestly, when I went to the altar and prayed in that little country church in Dixon, Tennessee, I went with the expectation because my life was so into music at that time, and I was so into playing guitar. I didn't want to do anything but play guitar. I knew I was going to be a great like country guitarist in a band in Nashville, and that's all I wanted to do with my life. When I surrendered to God for the calling that I felt like he had on my life to be a minister, um, I still didn't know there was such a thing in the world as worship pastors. To be honest, uh, my parents had always done music in the church. My dad was pastor. Mom would always lead music or something like that. And, you know, if she got anything, it was like a a gift from the church at Christmas. There wasn't any, like, you know, the worship pastor gets this. So, um, and and maybe that's just me and, and where I lived, but I didn't know there was such a thing as, like, You can have a calling, and and actually maybe that includes something other than preaching, you know, (laughs) in your life. So when I went to the altar and I prayed, I went like laying down music basically saying, okay, guys, you want me to be a minister? Then I, I give it all up, you know, and I was just that desperate at that point in my life. And I felt this sense of God saying to me, I don't want you to give it up. I want you to use it. And 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 I'm I'm very grateful that in some mode along the way throughout the years music has been a part of my calling. But in spite of what we might think, and I do love to preach too, and I'm an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene, so preaching's part of it, but music is is where I live, you know, it's just where I thrive, it's where I feel God's joy, you know, whenever I'm doing it. I think a lot of you probably are in that same Mode. Just out of curiosity, are you all uh, music leaders in your church? Or are you help with the band in some way? Most okay, good. Um, so we we have this calling a lot of us, and I, I think all of us on some level, if we're doing it, we probably at least feel at least some sort of a calling to what we're doing, whether we're in a paid position or not. Uh, otherwise, why would you do this crazy thing? You know. <laughs> um, so in spite of what we might think, however, the skills required to answer our calling. They don't just come naturally to us. Wouldn't it be nice if, okay, I accepted the call, now I'm ready, let's go out and do it. Um, I struggled with this in college when I wanted to just go out and be a part of doing ministry all of a sudden. But it was like, it felt like such a hole that for four years God would make me sit in school and learn stuff. And when I wanted to be out in the work and in the field, can you relate to that at all? Or or did you just just enjoy college? I did enjoy college, but there was that sense and like, man, why do I have to learn stuff? Thank God I went to college. I was so stupid. I mean, honestly, I'm still learning stuff along the way, but I learned so much. The theology courses that I took, it gave me this foundation. It taught me how to prepare for the future. It taught me how to learn. It taught me uh, the right people to read and people that I should respect and versus just like... You know, why would I read this guy as opposed to, you know, if, if I hadn't gone to school, maybe my whole ministry would have been influenced by Joel Osteen instead of some really great, like, theologian that, you know, and not it's not to talk bad about anybody. It's just I could have gone a completely different direction if I hadn't had some foundation first. So we come into this calling. All of us are born – think about this – all of us are born without the skill required to do our calling. You're born into this world, every single one of us, and we don't know anything. <laughs> we we know we're hungry and that's about it. We and and I'm sleepy. I got to take a nap. And I have a 2-year-old. He's, he's almost 3, and at this point, you know, in life from the beginning, it's still close enough I can remember all the stages where we literally had to do everything for him and you had to teach everything. And I still have to do a lot for him, but there's less and less all the time that I have to do. Now I'm starting to Ask him. Okay, bring your dish to the sink, you know, and and you know, pick up your fork. And no, no, don't use your fingers. Use your fork, and he'll do it. Things like that. And so he's getting the skills. Um, just getting him to blow was a difficult thing, you know. Like when you when you're little and you have like a whistle or a harmonica or something, and you're kind of like, here, just blow, and you put it in his mouth, and he just goes, you know, he doesn't do it, and he's not watching. Well, we're finally at the point he's starting to understand simple things like that. So nobody comes out of the womb with the skills required for the thing that they are being called to do. Uh, It's it's not true in any area of our life that we just have a calling to do something and then we can go ahead and start doing it. Engineers have to go to school. Scientists have to go to school. Pastors have to go to school. Well, some of them go to school. Hopefully more of them (laughs) do in the future. Um, This is especially true of musicians, even with with natural talent. And there are a lot of people with natural talent. They really are. They can sit down. Some people at a piano, um, and very few people are like you know prodigies. Little kids will sit down and just do a tune out right away, and they can just hear it. But even them, they have to hone that craft. They have to really learn that skill. They have to really um, work hard at it. Uh, and and my guitar teacher actually told me when I started playing, he said, he said you and I didn't know how to take it at first. He said you don't have a lot of talent. right? And I was like, thanks, I appreciate that. He said, and by the way, this is after I had learned quite a lot and become kind of accomplished on guitar. And he said, you don't have a lot of talent. You work really hard. And because you work really hard, you're actually better than a lot of people with a lot of natural skill because they just kind of get lazy with it and never really like go after it like they should. And I, in the years that have gone by, I found that to be very true. I don't know that I'm the most talented person around, but I worked really hard at it. And I, I think it's made me better at my calling because of it. So if you've ever learned to play an instrument, uh, and you know it's all about practice, do we have instrumentalists in here, just raise a hand? Mostly just vocalists? Okay, we've got a couple instrumentalists, that's good. So you know if you're, and it, this applies actually to vocal exercises too, and I'm going to get into that in just a second. But when we start playing, this is my kind of personal story in a nutshell, and then we're gonna, we are getting into the spirituality of things here, believe it or not. If you've ever really learned to play an instrument, you know it's all about practice. I can remember sitting in my room with my guitar on my lap and a Mel Bay guitar method book uh, on a music stand in front of me, like this one I have here, and just mechanically playing the C chord. And, and let me grab a guitar. I'll, I'll even show you this for instance here today. So I get that, that Mel Bay chord book that uh, seems like every guitarist at one point or another just had to play, and I'm trying to play the C chord. And it doesn't sound like this right away. It sounds more like, you know. And occasionally I hit a right note, and I'm like, yeah, you know. <laughs> and then you have that dumb song that's in every single book that, oh wait, it's a yeah. Crossbones or 3 blind mics or whatever you have, and so you don't start out overnight doing it. that. Comes later. At first, you start more like you know, and it just doesn't sound good to anybody, it doesn't sound like music to your but you persist in it. And then, life uh, and the Mel Bay book, once you get C down. Then it throws you another chord, G seven. Well, G seven is just like you stretched out C a little bit, and that's not too bad either. And you think, hey, then comes switching. That's harder. You got to switch from one chord to the next. So it goes from getting your fingers to the right position, and then you're, and then you got to switch back. Do I hear an amen? How that works, right? But I would sit and, you know, literally for over a matter of hours in my room, time would fly because I wanted to do it so bad, but I would, as part of my practice, back and forth, back and forth. And it seemed so elementary to me now, but at the time, it was like, oh, I'm getting faster. And then Mel Bay, that stupid book, had to throw an F chord at me. Right, F chord. If you're not a guitar player, F chord is an especially difficult one because you have to hold down two strings with one finger, and so that sounded more like because you couldn't ever get that one right, you know. So then you got to throw F in, and then you got to work hard, and it hurts your fingers, and you're working at it until finally you get it to where you can ring that one out. But then you have to change that one, so it's a lot of work. So all this going into it. Well, it is eventually though. Thank you. Eventually, practice starts to become play. You know what I mean, so this practice time that I had, that if I had my day, and then it just becomes, you know, like second nature. Just having fun with it, and somebody will go, Hey, you want to jam? And you're like, Yeah. And and you just, you know, it just becomes a different realm because you worked really hard at it. Now, it doesn't mean you weren't called to be a gifted guitar player if you can't pick it up the first time and do that. It means you've got some work to do, you know. So apply that to your calling, to the spiritual life that we have, the spiritual calling. As my fingers strengthened and my muscle memory began to develop and I started to be able to play without any music in front of me, started memorizing things, started learning how to play by ear, um, it seemed like such a triumph for me when I was finally able to start playing in church. You know, in seconds. And I think I started like playing bass guitar in church because I wasn't quite ready yet. So, you know, you're doing, You know, those, those basic, basic kind of kind of things that you learn on bass, but then eventually time went on and you get to do more. So as time progressed, I began learning how to sing and play. Another different obstacle to come into, okay? And I don't know why, but it seems like every guitarist, when they're learning, they all sound like Bob Dylan at the beginning. They're all, they're all kind of amazing when they're singing. You know, if you, if you can attest to a new guitar player, they all kind of sing like Don't get around people, whatever you're wrong. But around you grow, and it's in you, will sing like a stone. Yeah, so eventually I, I started learning how to sing and, and play, but then I found tempo was my problem, because while I would try to play and sing, then I would get off in my timing a little bit, um, and it's kind of hard to do now, because once you start... Doing it a little better, it's, it's harder to get out. But my, I remember my dad would say, you know, you're really you're doing well, but you need to work on your on your timing because you're speeding up and you're or you're slowing down. So I had to start like playing along with records or play with a metronome or I get like a drum machine and I start you know playing along with those type things until it gets it gets easier, you know. And then you start learning how to start singing a little more correctly a little bit. So, you're not quite as nasally anymore, so you're you're working again as a vocalist. You want to go from this when you're singing to the, you know, you want to give a the open the eyes of my heart, Lord, and open the eyes of my heart. And you're not you're not trying to be like open the eyes of my heart. You know, it's it's just funny. It just works that way with guitarists. I don't know why. Almost without exception, when I see. And when I see a guitarist. They're learning, and I can tell how far they've progressed by how nasally they are. And some people never move beyond It's made Bob Dylan, a very rich man. But anyway, but through practice, we can actually start to learn not only to play correctly and sing correctly, but we can actually do it together, right? It, it's something that you apply, that you have to keep working at. And then eventually, I began learning to write songs that I could play and sing. And what a joy it was, but... Writing is a whole other skill set than, and I'm still learning it. It's not like you ever get it down completely. I think you're always stretching and growing. And once I became a decent songwriter, I began to write songs for other people. I began to write songs for my congregation to sing. And it took years of practice and struggle and rejection and rewriting and hard work. But eventually, um, I heard these words from a, a major publisher, Lifeway, we want to publish your songs. And over the last few years, I've started actually writing, like, worship songs for other people in that regard, like, that are being published and going through. But it all started out with, like, trying to write songs. And my first song was something like this. It was like, you are larger than the earth. You are stronger. Probably was stronger. Stronger than the ocean. You fill me with such words. And I have such emotion. You know, like that was like my first song. I can't even remember all the words. It was like, I can feel your presence with me when I'm all alone. I am just not worthy. Such peace I've never known. You are almighty. It's okay, but it's not gonna win any prizes, you know. It's it's okay, but that that was sort of like my first attempt at writing a song. Well eventually. I started studying the craft and, and how you do a song and what it means, you know, what are some common things that happen in songwriting? What makes a song something that people can sing together? What makes it something that congregationally speaking, that we can all sort of unite our voices and as one together and able to see? So um, it just presents a whole new set of skills to me. Um, and so why am I telling you all this? All of this that I have been talking to you at this point about um, it actually is um, a result this actually is spiritual formation that I'm talking about. This is spiritual formation. This is the practice of this. I believe that leading worship requires just as much practice as playing an instrument learning to sing and, and writing music does. But By the way, this is an example of like how my songwriting has changed over the years. This is one of that i published, it's, it's about to come out through Lifeway pretty soon. I bind unto myself today the Father, Spirit, Son. I call upon the Holy Name. to us about with spiritual direction, spiritual formation, and worship bands, Um, I I had to kind of take you on that journey, though, to help you understand, spiritual formation formation is also something that doesn't just happen, and it's also, it's something that doesn't just happen in our praise teams, and it doesn't just happen in our practice time, as nice as that would be, I'm going to set this over here, this is not my guitar, I do not want it to get hurt, Um, so I believe that, that leading worship requires as much practice as playing an instrument. And learn as also as learning to sing, learning to write does. It's goes not only for our worship leaders, but I think our people on our team also need help in this. So in order to do our calling well, it requires practice. And so as the leader of a worship team in a church, I have found that one of my most challenging tasks is not just teaching the congregation to sing, but teaching the musicians to really worship as well. And, and, and I, I have a little bit of trepidation doing this because Missy sings on our team and she can tell you if we actually do this or not at church. But I became convicted a few years ago because I, I felt like, all right, we're finally getting to the point where our songs are starting to sound good, we're finally starting to play together. But I don't feel like we're doing anything of real value in our practice times other than just getting the notes right. And I started feeling like we're not really connecting with God. And maybe we're not even connecting with the songs we're singing, even if we're singing them well and playing them well. And so I started making a real effort to try to lead those times of practice and make them very intentional in that they are just as much a part of our formation during the week spiritually as times that we do on our own. So I have felt the strain of making rehearsal times with our musicians' worshipful experiences. And if you've ever tried that, you probably felt that strain too. It doesn't just happen. We wish it would happen. And I really want us to sound great when we're leaving on Sunday morning, but more
1: than that, I long for
0: us to be lead worshipers, to take people where we have been and, and allow God to just use us for that purpose. Um, if we can learn to experience God in our rehearsals, then I think it may make a real difference in how we translate that into our service times. Um, if in our practice time we can enter fully into the presence of God, maybe we can do that on Sunday morning with our people. You know? But it's, it's kind of impossible to go to we haven't been together. Um, so is there a way to rehearse this? That's the question that we're probably all asking coming to this today. Is there a way to practice the presence of God in our times of rehearsal? And I believe the answer is yes, but it will take, what's the word we've been focusing on? Starts with a P, ends with an E. Practice. practice. <laughs> all right. Uh, this on our cards, on all of our cards, I think it requires a little bit of a practice, a little bit of a rehearsal. So this is sort of a practice of practice. Let's put it that way. Um, there really isn't an instruction manual on how to do this unless you want to count, like, the the early church fathers and prayer books and things like that that we have at our disposal. So I'm only able to give you ideas that have been helpful for me as a worship leader. There – I mean, I'm certain you probably have things you could offer to me as well, um, and you could probably teach me. But these are just some things that I have, have learned. Um, I certainly don't think our rehearsals are where I want them to be yet, but I think we're getting there. I mean, I think we're getting closer each time. I don't know that we'll ever get there, but I, I want to be a part of, of striving to do more of this. So, first thing, and this is probably so obvious, but we can set the tone with prayer. Prayer is, there's no such thing as a little prayer, let's put it that way. You start with a little prayer as we begin. You know, as people would say, can you pray real quick for us so we can eat? Can you do this? I don't think there's such a thing as a little prayer. I think that prayer, if it's done correctly, and I think there are ways of doing it incorrectly, if we're talking about Christian prayer, um, I think prayer is very formative. It's very transformative. Uh, Let me give you a story. I I wrote this story in an article for Worship Leader magazine a few years ago, and it's still, I think, my most passed around. Maybe the, the only good thing I've ever done in life, who knows, but it's a, I think it turned out to be a pretty good illustration of this. Years ago, I, uh, at, at breakfast in my home, I turned on the TV, and Billy Joel, you know Billy Joel, the piano man? Well, it was the song. Yeah, the piano man. He was sitting at a piano being interviewed, and they were talking to him about various things that he does as a musician. At this point, he was very accomplished, very well done. I think he was even retired at this point. And they were asking him, you know, at this point in your life, what does it look like for you to sit down and make music? What does it look like to to write? Because you're retired, do you still do a lot of writing because I know you're traveling. And he says, well, I make it my priority every day to go down to my basement. Whenever it is I wake up, if I sleep in, that's fine. I don't have like a set regimen in time, but I make it my priority to go and sit at my piano for one hour every day in the morning he said, and I'll sit there, and sometimes that hour feels like seven hours because it just I feel uninspired, and I don't have anything fresh coming out of me. I don't feel anything new, and it's just drudgery, and then I'll leave feeling kind of defeated like it didn't work. <laughs> they said, but there's other days, and it happens more often than you would think, he said, where I sit there, and within the first five minutes, it's like inspiration just hits from somewhere I don't know where it's coming from. And that hour that I've set aside will suddenly turn into two, three, four hours where it just seems like ideas are flowing and I'm just lost in something. And then this is what he said that really stuck out to me. And he said, and if I hadn't been there, I would have missed it. If I hadn't been there, I would have missed it. Now, bear in mind, Billy Joel at this point in his life is a very rich man. He doesn't need the money. (laughs) He doesn't need to make more music, but there's something in him. And Billy Joel is an atheist, so I think it's funny that um, I I always say Billy Joel taught me how to pray. Uh, Something hit me when I heard him say that. That's prayer. That's what prayer is. It's okay to have a little legalism when it comes to our practices of prayer together. As a leader, I think the number one thing that we can do for our musicians during our rehearsals is to set the tone by making time honestly for prayer. Like like real prayer, not just okay. Help us out this song, Amen. Bye. Like, let's sit down. Maybe it's ten minutes. Maybe it's at the end. We usually do it at the end of our rehearsal. Um, You would you would think it would be better at the beginning, but for us, it just seems to work at the end. And that way, I can kind of help everybody focus in on what we've just sang and what we're going to be singing again that Sunday. And I can give ideas and say, you know, maybe pray this way. And if there's things going on in the church. That I know about, and if I'm able to share it, I can say, Here's some things we need to pray about that I want you to keep in mind as we get up to lead on Sunday. You know, this person, I, I won't name specifics if it's something like this, but I can say, I know there are people whose marriages are struggling in the church. I just, I just know it. We know they've come to us. Um, we need to be praying for them. As we sing this song Sunday, bear in mind that everything we do is prayer. Or I might say, you know what, so-and-so, the report came back, and it's cancer, and it's bad. And on Sunday morning when we come in here, I want you to keep that in mind as you're singing and praying and be reminded that person needs to connect with God this week. You know, you need, we need to be aware of that in our hearts and in our minds. So, you know, if we can truly approach the throne, if we can remind people, of who will be coming through the doors this week. We don't always know, but we generally have a good idea you know <laughs> of who's going to be coming that week. We can remind them of the people that are coming when we're praying and what they may need to hear. Again, you don't have to go into specifics. I, the last thing I want to be is a gossip session uh, or anything like that, but just to give some specific needs as we pray. Um, our playing together in harmony is one of the best examples of modeling the Trinity that I can think of, by the way as I move out of this into another area of this, you can remind your musicians, your singers, that in their playing and in their singing, that they are actually embodying the body of Christ. You might remind people that, you know what, we are not a top 40 radio band when we come in here. We're not a top 40 worship band either, for that matter. I think a lot of times we feel like, okay, let's come in here, play the set, we'll go home. If we can remind people that we are actually... Involving ourselves in a Trinitarian-like activity and that we are trying to make harmony together. <laughs> we are trying to play together in unity as one. Um, one of the great mysteries of spirituality is the way that God interacts with itself, the three in one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In some ways, we are enacting that as we join together in the presence of God to, to rehearse We don't bring God's presence into the room. We point to where he already is in our time together. And we don't have special spiritual powers that enable us to be better worshipers than anyone else. Um, We're just leading where our practice has taken us, right? (laughs) So we're leading where we've rehearsed already and trying to come to. So if we can enable our team to be worshipers of God, who step out of the spotlight so that God can shine in our midst. That's another thing. If we can just be reminders to them why we have come together. Remind them, you know what, this is a this is about becoming one in Christ. This is about unity. What we do with music here is what we're trying to do in the kingdom of God. We're trying to play well together. <laughs> and if you want to think about it in those terms, I feel like that's a huge thing of what God is trying to do in the lives of his people. Start getting us to play well together. <laughs> you know, in, in this world that we have where every other week there's a shooting somewhere seems like, just in our country alone, um, it's so important that we allow God to so overcome us and so unite us that we truly can show the world we are Christians by our love. And that's what the scripture says. That's how they will tell that we are Christians, by our love. Um, And then one last thing. Um, the, the first thing was prayer that I talked about. The second thing was just reminding them what a spiritual activity this is. And I use the Trinity as, as an example of that, um, if, you're, if you're taking notes. So prayer, essential going right along with that, is reminding them of the spiritual dimension of what it is we're doing. This whole idea of God uniting us is one. Learning to play in harmony is a spiritual exercise. And it's a, it's a musical, music is a metaphor for the greater narrative of the kingdom of God. And then, this one other thing, I, I would say it's probably the last point I'm going to make right now. Leadership, our part in this, and, and it's really their part too. Anybody you're working with to lead, this is what we need to convey to our other leaders by example. We need to figure out how to embody humility, As we are learning to practice the presence of God together in our practice times and our rehearsals, as leaders, we need to strive to embody repentance and humility. Um, I, I don't want to tell—I don't want to tell too many personal examples, um, but we've had a real problem. At our church, with sometimes our personalities clashing with those that are part of, you know, between the sound booth and between the musicians and between the vocalists and between whoever. Um, occasionally it just happens, and especially if you're creative people, a lot of times there will be clashes <laughs> among people. Um, and there's no sure sign of a person's insecurity than defensiveness. And sometimes I think... As ministers, if we could be a lot quicker to listen and a little slower to speak at times in the midst of situations and embody true humility and repentance, it might be a good example for other people on our team. Um, and just as a side note, by the way, we often, I feel like sometimes in evangelicalism, we've gotten repentance backwards in our service times. Um, I, I went to... <laughs> a beautiful service the other day and it struck me. I was at a Lutheran service and um, I've, I've been at several different denominations over the years. And This one I wasn't actually like leading music. I just had a day off on a Sunday and I was like, oh, I'm just going to go do something different. Right at the beginning of their service and they do this every week, this crazy little thing called repentance. <laughs> at the beginning of their service, they come in and they have a prayer and they say something to the extent of, Father, we acknowledge our sins before you knowledge that we need you, and we need you to come and fill us and change us again. We stop right now to confess the ways that we have fallen short of being like you, O Christ. And they take like a minute of silence the beginning of their service, and it happens every week. And then the minister will say something like, in the name of Jesus, I declare you that your sins have been forgiven. And then we start our worship. I mean, it's already worship when we come together, but then we start singing music, and then we start... I'm like, wow, what a noble idea that we start with repentance and then we get to respond to that wonderful offer of forgiveness that we receive. You know, I feel like sometimes we relegate it to the end and then we're done and we go home and we haven't done anything with it. Like, what a beautiful thing if we would start there, like start with repentance. At, some, at least sometime. I think that would be wonderful. That was sort of a side note, but it kind of goes with what I'm talking about in this, in this point here. There are times as leaders... When we come into practice with a sinful spirit. And we are in need of a touch of grace from the Father. And I think it is 100% okay to apologize and to repent in front of our people. Um, and I don't mean you have to get into the gritty details of whatever. That's not necessarily what even that time is for. But I think it's okay if we're going to model this idea of spirituality together. With our teams, I think it's okay to come to a practice time and say, Gang, I just want you guys to realize um, I I blew it today and you know, I kicked the dog before I came in, I was so mad, and I you know, <laughs> whatever I just whatever we did, and just say, you know what, I, I need some time as we pray tonight, and maybe you do too. I just need to be humbled again, and be reminded. I'm a person in need of a Savior, and I need to repent uh, before you guys. Sometimes it happens in a song, and a careless word slips out, and you just want to say, you know what, I'm sorry for how I said that to you. It probably sounded really mean when I said you were playing that wrong, you know, or whatever, when I was trying to convey, you know, you were a little flat that last time. Maybe I said it wrong, and I need to repent before you. If we embody that before our people, I think it's a, I think it's a disarming thing, I hope. Um, and I think if we lead that by example, maybe our team can do that too. The other part of that is very difficult, and it's something I had to do fairly recently. Um, we just had a problem. I sent out sort of a little survey among all of our people. And I, honestly, I was asking, what can I do to serve you better? Um, are there any points that you can think of that I can do better? And I got back from every single person on the team a response about another person on the team. <laughs> and and what I mean by that is like all of them were talking about the same person that they had had an encounter with. And like if this doesn't change, I'm not gonna
1: I'm not gonna serve on ways that they're serving because this person
0: is just making life miserable. Attitude is awful, they, they treat us bad, everything. And for all my gentle prodding for all my trying to embody repentance and everything, I had to actually take this person to my office and set up a meeting and sit down for about an hour and go through this list of things. And I knew it was going to go one way or the other. Either he was going to hear that and embody what it means to be sorry and be like, okay. I see what you're saying, or else this person was going to storm out and maybe never leave the church I, or never come back to church again. And I didn't want either, you know, I didn't want that to happen. I wanted the first. And um, as, as God would have it, thankfully, after this very difficult meeting, the person was so humble and so humbled. And the response was, it sounds like I've got a lot of apologizing to do and I need to win back some trust some people. That's been several weeks ago now and there has been such a different atmosphere like in our times together when they're there, everybody is more like free and, they, and he's and, and I let this person know, I said, you know what the reason I think you're defensive a lot is I think you're tired when you're coming in here, but that was part of the problem, there was defensiveness and sort of clashes and, and I said, I want you to know when you come in the sanctuary I want you to think about that word that this is a sanctuary for you too. Like, this is a safe place. This is a place where you don't have to respond that way because we're, we're loving here and we love you. And so if we're asking you about something or we want you to do something, we're not asking because we want to attack you. We're just, we're just saying it because it's, it's what we need and what we're trying to accomplish here together. I'll, and we want you to feel completely safe in that. And if you don't know, just say, I don't know how to do that. And and we'll be like, cool, well, let's work on it. You know, let's help you together. So all that is to say, sometimes we need to help our people repent, too. <laughs> and I don't know, that's a very difficult part of the job. But I think us embodying repentance and humility and helping others to have a chance to, to do that as well is, is a very difficult but essential thing. Um, Okay, one one last segment, and then I'd like to have some discussion if there's anything that you all want to discuss together. Um, first of all, let me encourage you, because uh, I have been at the receiving end of loving Christian people who give backhanded compliments, okay? You ever had a backhanded compliment before uh, where, you're so good at what you do, if you could just play in tune once in a while, you know, it's like... like, wow, what a great talent you are, can I turn your guitar down, it's too loud, you know, or, you know, and you kind of feel like, was that a compliment, like, that really hurt, whatever, thank you, that hurt, Um, so you don't know how to approach it, and sometimes people are just, you know, downright resistant and mean, and especially as song leaders, um, there's nothing that seems to divide people, like a song, or, you know, in the way that a song can unite people, a song can divide people, too, it's really kind of funny how that, all works together but let me give you some encouragement today and there is a spiritual dimension to this too i believe sometimes when we get those comments sometimes it is that the song maybe was just a poor choice sometimes it is that maybe it just wasn't right for the room or maybe we did it badly or however it was sometimes when you get discouraging comments from people don't always discredit the discouraging comment okay that's not what i'm trying to say here sometimes we learn from those things but there is a, psych- a psychological phenomenon known as resistance that should be of interest to all of us who are, whether we're pastors, music leaders, any sort of leadership position. Um, it, as a therapist gets closer, like you think about a person in therapy, as a therapist gets closer to the problem and its sources, the patient or this person that they're with does everything they can possible to avoid facing and dealing with the situation. It's called resistance, And resistance is defined as as acted-out rationalization. It's a pattern that blocks and impedes the process of therapy despite the patient's earnest motives to do well. So this is a psychological phenomenon. A patient wants to do well, a person wants to do well in therapy, but they will lash out at their therapist and fight against every mode of getting to the problem because of this thing called resistance. Um, Resistance in churches it often seems bothersome, and we often see it as an obstacle, but it may actually be the edge of a breakthrough. A psychologist will look at resistance, uh, and it means that the therapy is touching something that the patient can't yet handle, but they also see resistance as a sign that the conversation has reached a place where there is some potentially productive things about to happen in the conversation. It's just the patient is so close to the edge of this painful thing, That they've been avoiding, that they're not ready for, that they're lashing out, they're resisting, they're going against it. I think in church, we feel this resistance and we go, ah, I want to quit, I'm going to leave, they don't like me. If we would look at it a little differently and say, you know what, it could be that this resistance is a good sign. Like, I I know none of us ever do that. (laughs) I don't do that. But what if, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, and where there's resistance, there is sure to be anxiety and inner conflict and things coming from people. Um, So this hostility, anger, disengagement, you know, avoidance, denial, blocking, and so forth. These are not necessarily failures on your part, okay? If you're encountering that from people in your congregation, this could very well mean that you are about to have a breakthrough, and maybe it's time to start really praying hard in that situation. Now, sometimes people are just crabby, pain in the you-know-what, but at other times, sometimes they really are at a place where God's about to do something really huge in their life, and they're just not ready to face that yet. Um, so this could be a sign that God's doing a great work among your people, and that uh, the conversation is on the verge of actually being really productive. Um, so their presence of resistance shows that an individual is trying to protect themselves from the truth they are ready to handle. Um, and as Kierkegaard once said, the test of a good sermon—and I want you to apply this to a good song, okay? The test of a good sermon is not that you heard it, enjoyed it, and then went home to Sunday dinner. The test may be that you heard it and found yourself too sick at heart to eat anything afterwards. You need to hear that again. The test of a good sermon or song may be that you heard it and found yourself a little too sick at heart to eat anything. Because maybe God really spoke something to your heart that was like, oh, I need to change. I need, dif- I need to do some difficult work in there. So um, so anyway, there's, there's certainly, that was hopefully just an encouragement to you. I don't know if any of you needed to hear that or not today, but I would really love for you to maybe, if you took nothing else from it today, take some of the resistance that we get sometimes as a, as a leader and take it to prayer and just say, God, is this because we are on the verge of something with this person? Like, that person's nasty and they're mean and I'm having trouble dealing with them, but God, oh, what if we could... What if this is just the beginning of something really great? Now, to follow that story of spirituality and the grace team, this person I talked to you about before, before I had this encounter with them and had to go in and kind of go with this list of things, like I think God does with us, God has done that with me numerous times in my life and said, here, we got to work on this. Um, that person now weeks later, has been so active in a way these that, that this person was not before. They're coming to church, bringing their entire family to Sunday school. They're reading their devotions together. Like every Saturday night, they're reading the Bible passage we're going to be studying the next day as a family for the first time in I don't know how long. I'm not saying it's all because of that one encounter, but there was an encounter that I had with this person, and it was like right after that, there was this turnaround, and there was this change, and God really, it's like, it's like wow, is that even the same person anymore? Like, it's, it's all it is to say, I think if we look at our spirituality in our practice times and our responsibility as a leader in the midst of those situations and our task as leaders to maybe embody that and carry it out to people, um, we may find that God is really doing some, some really wonderful things underneath. So questions, comments, things you have, things that you wish I'd covered that I haven't or insights you have, please let's, let's hear them, or, or else we could just, you know, finish with the surveys. <laughs> what do be Well, let me give you just a couple ideas, and then we're going to do these surveys, okay? means in the Nazarene Church, um, what should worship look like, and and how should we begin to have a common understanding together. One thing, and this was said in this meeting, it was said, until you're 35, or at least until you're mature in your faith, don't ever pray publicly without writing it down first. (laughs) Very interesting idea, but I think there's some merit to it. These are prayer books. Okay. You can find these in used bookstores for like nothing. I mean they, they are I got this in my library for a quarter, I think, in the in the bin that they were gonna get rid of stuff. Um, this book of prayers, I will do things like this with my praise team when we come together because I want to make sure I'm praying about more than just, you know, thanks for the nice day, God, which is very important and I, I that today, but I want to, I want help to know how to pray. Um, in in correct ways. So I'll grab a prayer book, and I might say something like this in our prayer time. Um, Let me find one of my favorite ones in here. God says, I like youngsters. I want people to be like them. I don't like old people unless they are still children. I wasn't on, it was see, I want only children in my kingdom. This has been decreed from the beginning of time. Youngsters, twisted, humped, wrinkled, white bearded, all kinds of youngsters, but youngsters. There is no changing it. It has been decided. There is room for no one else in the kingdom. Um, the, the prayer goes on a lot longer, but this is an interesting prayer book in the regard, a lot of these prayers are actually God speaking to us. Someone is thoughtfully and prayerfully taking scriptures like that Mark passage where they brought the children to Jesus. And Jesus saw and was indignant and said, let the children come to me. Don't dare drive them away for the kingdom of God and all such of these. Um, prayer books like this are interesting because sometimes we need to listen for the voice of God. And we need to allow, I mean often we need to listen more than we need to talk. Um, but then the prayer goes on. I like little children because my image has not yet been dulled in them. They have not botched my likeness. They are new, pure, without a blot, without a smear. So when I gently lean over them, I recognize myself in them. I like them because they are still growing. They are still improving. They are on the road. They are on their way. But with grown-ups, there is nothing to expect anymore. They will no longer grow, no longer improve. They have come to a full stop. It is, a disas- it is disastrous, grown-ups, thinking they have arrived. I like youngsters. Remember, this is God speaking this to his people. I like youngsters because they're still struggling, because they are still sinning. Not because they sin, you understand, but because they know that they sin, and they say so, and they try not to sin anymore. But I don't like grown-ups. They never harm anyone. They have nothing to reproach themselves for. I can't forgive them. I have nothing to forgive. It is a pity. It is indeed a pity. Because it is not true. But above all, I like youngsters because of the look in their eyes. In their eyes I can read their age. In my heaven they will be only five-year-old eyes. For I know of nothing more beautiful than the pure eyes of a child. It is not surprising, for I live in children, and it is I who look out through their eyes. When pure eyes meet yours, it is I who smile at you through the flesh. But on the other hand, I know nothing sadder than lifeless eyes in the face of a child. The windows are open, but the house is empty. Two eyes are there, but no light. And saddened, I stand at the door, and I wait in the cold and knock, and I am eager to get in. And he, the child, is alone. He gets stout, he hardens, he dries up, he gets old. Poor old fellow. Alleluia, alleluia, open, all of you little old men. It is I, your God, the eternal risen from the dead, coming to bring back to life the child in you. Hurry, now is the time. I am ready to give you again the beautiful face of a child, the beautiful eyes of a child. For I love youngsters and I want everyone to be like them. Good stuff. Um, Just an idea, just a thought. Find a prayer book. Take some time in your practices. This is the book the Wesleys use, the Book of Common Prayer. If it was good enough for John Wesley, it's good enough for me. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, there's other books you can find, contemporary prayers for public worship. Not to say you have to pray every time out of the book, but my goodness, there are some wonderful things you can touch on with those things. You can take into your practice time and say today I just want us to listen. I want us to hear what God is speaking to us over this time. Um, so just another idea, if you ever can get your hand on some prayer books, you can get them pretty cheap online too, I think. so. Uh, well, if, unless you have any further questions, comments from me, I'm going to pass out some surveys to you, and uh, they've asked that you would fill those out, and if you want to have any discussion time in the midst, you can. Uh, thank you for being here for this session today, and for those of you listening through the podcast, thank you for listening to the Voices in My Head podcast. <laughs> You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback,